We have been on this subject for about three weeks now on transition. And I love this topic. I, I think it's a, it's a great subject. And some of the things that I'll be sharing is taken from a book, Managing Transitions, by Bill Bridges and, and other writers, too, that we'll be taking some excerpts from those. But uh, someone said that change is situational, but transition is psychological, and it happens in three phases. You can have change. Of course, a lot of us, we don't like change. In fact, probably none of us at times, we don't like change. But as you look at the introduction, life is never stagnant or we live in a time of great transition in the world and in the church. By the way, if you don't have an outline, please raise your hand, lift it high, and Brother Steve will make sure you get one. We would like for you to get uh, an outline. Uh, We're forever transitioning. School, you're going from kindergarten to grade school, elementary school to junior high and then to high school and then the big decision is where to go to college and uh, what a transition from from high school and in fact uh, my grandson we were talking about Zachary this week and Zach uh, went from uh, uh, junior high to high school and talking about how hard it is and it it's a, it's quite a transition and then when you go to college what a transition and then I think you transition when you get married, don't you? Wow. <laughs> and uh, there are always phases in life, whether it's having children. One of the great transition, transitions is middle age. You wake up one day, you know, you're, you're 16, 17 years old, and then you wake up one day and uh, you're middle-aged. You say, how did I get here? What happened? Where did all the time go? And then it's time for, of course, for retirement and those things. And uh, the, the, the thing about it, we're always transitioning from something to something. The, one of the problems with this is that so many people, they go through this state and they want to stay there. They don't want to transition out of that. And as I mentioned last week, you know, we, we, uh, we leave somewhere to go somewhere. In fact, Mr. Bridges puts it this way. There are three phases of transition. You have the ending, and then you have the neutral, <clears throat> and then you have the beginning, a new beginning. And when it's transition, we all go through that. In some measure, we go through that. Not just changes, but transition. And uh, change happens to be fast, but transition is slow. Transition flows from change. Uh, But I'd like to think this morning as we're talking how important transitions are and how Transition brings on great opportunities. I I said last Sunday, God sees around the corner, around the bend. 
He knows what's on tomorrow. And it's scary. Transition is scary. And it, you, you know, it's uncertain. It's an unbeaten path. And you just wonder about it. Uh, we live in a time of great transition. Notice your notes in the world and in the church. Life is never stagnant. A greater part of our success. Now listen to this statement. Read it with me. As a Christian and as a church, not just a Christian, is how we manage the season of transition. Some of us don't handle it well. We want to stay right here. In fact, if we're not careful, we're often forced to stay here. I mentioned last week, uh, one, of the, one, of, one of the great things of transition is leaving. You've got to be willing to let that go. Let the past go. Life is like a chapter. And we all go through these times of chapters. But in order to go to the new chapter, you've got to close the old chapter. I tell the story of Forrest Gump. Most of you have seen Tom Hanks and uh, the, the movie Forrest Gump. Where he had uh, a girlfriend named Jenny. And he loved that girl, boy. He just thought nothing like her. Well, as they got older, they uh, were going back to her old home place. And there was this long path. And you could see this house at a distance as they were walking and talking. She was walking with her shoes in her hand. And when they got close to this house, she stopped and stared at this house. Just just stared at it. Well, all of a sudden, she ran up uh, before Forrest and she throws her shoes at this abandoned old house. And then she picks up rocks after rocks, seven of them really, and throws, she bursts a window, she knocks off uh, almost the side of that old house, and and then she falls to the ground and she weeps and she weeps and she weeps. Well, Forrest don't know what to do. He, he, He don't understand at all what's happening. And so he goes up and he gently sits next to her and then he makes this statement sometimes I guess there's just not enough rocks it's a funny statement with what she was going through with well for you that have have seen the movie or know anything about the movie she was molested when she was a child often by her dad and she couldn't forget it she couldn't let it go she still was embittered. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, our past haunt us. And the reason it does is because someone abused us, someone mistreated us, something happened in our past, and we can't let go. Forgiveness sometimes is not easy. It's not easy. In contrast with Jenny, I want to look at Joyce Myers. If you know anything about Joyce Myers, and she's this great television and radio and uh, minister. If you know anything about her, until the time she was 18 years old, she was molested by her dad. The same thing that happened to Jenny, 
She was molested by her dad. Well, how can she be successful, such a successful person, such a successful minister? And she's written many books and many lives has been changed because of her ministry. It was because she was willing to forgive her dad that raped her over 200 times. She was willing to forgive her dad. In fact, she witnessed to her dad and led him to the Lord and then baptized him in water. What a testimony. She let go of that chapter. She closed that chapter. She said, I'm not going to live here. Was there pain? Yes. Have you experienced pain, disappointment? Has someone so disappointed, even Christians have a way of really disappointing you. And relationships that you've had, maybe a marriage relationship, maybe a brother or sister of the church relationship. And and somehow you keep living that over and over. That's a stake that you're in that you're not willing to let go and say, God, forgive me. And I choose, as Antoinette was saying this morning, I choose to forgive. I think it's important. I think it's very important. So transition is so, it's so much a part of our lives. And then last week, and I have some of these on your paper today, and I love these. I love to look at, see, you learn so much when you look at how people acted during the time that things were going on in their life, whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's the New And I look at the life of Abraham, and most of us know Father Abraham that left the country of Ur. You are. And he left this country, and he went to Canaan land. But he had to cut ties with his family, his his hometown. Moving is, is, is not easy. Even if you move across town, it's not easy. Especially if you go from one city to another. But especially if you go from one country to another. But Abraham, by faith, closed that chapter. And look what God did for him because he opened a new chapter in his life. And then you, you, you go on down and you, you have uh, the Israelites... You're talking about transition. 500 years. 500 years they were in Egypt. And they were fine. They had the cream of the crop land. I mean, when Joseph moved his dad, Jacob, in, and the Israelites had, they had things going for them. It was tremendous. But over the years, they were taken into bondage and they were made slaves. And so we know the story how God spoke to Moses and he goes and he, uh, <clears throat> he leads them, the two and a half million people, out of bondage. Well, they, they had a hard time leaving that chapter, leaving that state where they were in. Even though they were slaves and really, really mistreated, there were times when they were 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They couldn't turn the page. They couldn't let go of the past. And whether it was Abraham or the Israelites or Moses and Joshua, 
Can you imagine leading Israel for 40 years? Can you, be in, can you imagine writing uh, all the powerful writings that Moses wrote and being the person that he was? Can you imagine, imagine God saying to him, you can't go into the promised land? I mean, what did you say? You know who I am? You know what I've done? You know how many years I have invested in this? And you're telling me I can't go into the promised land? You know. And he didn't. And so there was a transition from Moses to Joshua. Great transition. You can learn a lot from that transition. Just a a whole lot. I, I want to spend the rest of the time that I have with us. And I do want to, to, to go back to that song, Brother Matt, if, if it's okay. I want to spend the rest of the time that I have with us talking about another transitional time. And it was David. There was no king like David. In fact, I dare say few people in the world has ever lived and had the character and the abilities and the writings and the songs and the talent that David had. The king of Israel. The king of Israel. But there, come, there came a time when David had to transition. He was 70 years old. And it was time for him to have someone else to come and sit. On the throne. And uh, if you read, if, if, if you read First Chronicles and First Kings, you get not two different stories, but you get an additional writings in First Kings. It is very interesting. It's interesting to me that the writer of First Chronicles never recorded what First Kings recorded. The same incident. But we have his fourth son. In fact, it was his oldest son at this particular time named Adonijah. Adonijah. You won't find this in 1 Chronicles. You'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 1. Adonijah said, I am going to be king. Everyone knew David was getting older and there needed to be change. And so he... Uh, got Joab, which was the captain of the army, and the high priest to go along with him. And he goes out and he brings people and all these people get together and they throw a party and Adonijah says, I'm going. Now, who was he copying? If you know a little bit about history, he was copying his brother Absalom. Absalom's dead now, and you know that story, how that he was going to be king. So he's copying Absalom, saying, I'm going to be king. But God, say, but God. I like that. But God said that Solomon was going to be king, not Adonijah. Solomon is going to be king. So Nathan, I love the story of Nathan. You remember Nathan was the prophet that went to, to David when he, when he committed the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Nathan was a prophet. God, give us some Nathans today. 
Wow. Wouldn't you like to see some Nathans behind the pulpit today? Thou art the man. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't compromise. He said, you are the one that's committed the sin, David. He could have lost his head. So Nathan went to Beersheba and told us, and hey, you better do something. Adonijah's fixing to take over the kingdom. So they did. He and others joined and uh, told David. They went and told David. David, Adonijah is going to be, uh, it said he's going to be king. David said, no, he's not. So David arranged it to where here comes this great transition of Solomon. Now, in this transition, the thing, one of the things that is very interesting to me is the fact that David was a man after God's own heart and it was in his heart to build the temple. I mean, he, he wanted to build this temple. He desired to, he had the vision and the desire. He had all the plans to build the temple of God where they could put the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the very presence of God. And he knew what he wanted to do to invest in that, in, in that temple. And he spent planning and gathering 216 billion. 603,576 thousand dollars. He didn't play around. I mean, he didn't get leftovers. He got gold and silver and gold and silver and precious stones and wood, and he had it all planned. And then God says, David, you can't build the temple. What's that you say? You can't build the temple. Why? Because you've got blood on your hands. Not that David had done wrong, but he was a man of war. And God said, you can't build it. Has God ever told you you can't do something? Has God ever changed your mind? Has God ever said, hey, wait a minute, time out. Let's go a different direction. David has two choices, one of two choices. He can become apathetic. This man could have become, like a lot of people do, fatalistic. Well, God, you're not going to let me build it. I'm, 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 I'm going to live the rest of my life. I'm going to sit it out. God, if I can't have this position in the church, if I can't have this position in the, in, 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 in the kingdom of God, then I'm just going to sit it out. If I'm not going to be recognized, I was reading one writer when he was seven years old. He was asked to give money to plant a tree in Israel. And he thought to himself, well, am I, am I going to get my name on a plaque next to it? I mean, are they going to know in Israel that I'm the one? that cut grass and sold bottles so I could have the money to plant a tree in Israel? Then he thought to himself, it doesn't matter. Just get the tree planted. It doesn't matter who gets the glory. 
David didn't say, okay, if I can't, listen, if I can't build the temple, then I'm going to take all this that I've gathered and I'm going to take and I'm going to buy me a place at the beach. I'm going to buy me a place at the mountains. I'm going to buy me a place, I'll clear this up, on Emeraldwood Drive. (laughs) You know, I'm going to take this and bestow it on myself. It's, and, and I'm not, I, I'm just going to do this. It's fine to have a place wherever. It's, a, it's fine to, listen, just so I don't let Emerald Wood Dry become my God. I got a nice house. The grass is manicured. I don't do it. Carol keeps flowers out. And I just walk out and I walk down Emerald Wood and I look at my house. But if I let that house come between me and God, that's a problem. If I become like Nebuchadnezzar and say, look what we have done. No, it's, it's okay. It's okay to be blessed. But David didn't say that. He could have, but he could have gone another way. You know what he could have done? He could have done like a lot of people do. Okay, God, I've gathered all of this, 200 and some billion dollars worth of equipment and uh, all of the stones and the gold and the silver. And I'll tell you, all of these nails that go in this project are going to have my name stamped on them. I'm going to have me a big play card out front saying the temple of David. How many of you know we don't call it David's temple? What do we call it? Solomon's temple. David said, I'm not about to be left out. I'm going to leave myself a legacy. But David did neither one of those. He did not become fatalistic, apathetic, or either controlling. He gathered all the things. And then he called. Everybody together. I guess I better read it. Mark, I'm going to skip over 28th verse. I mean 28th chapter. Go to the 29th. 1 through 5. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. He could say, I'm not going to turn all this over. Two some billion dollars. I'm not going to turn this over to a, a, a young squirt that's inexperienced. Didn't say that. He tells them he's inexperienced and the work, what does it say? It's great. How many of you know when you work for God, it's great? You say, well, I work at IBM or I work down in the office and I do this. Let me tell you, that's good, but that's not the greatest work. The greatest work is working for God and building him a place uh, where his presence can live on the inside of us. This is a temple of the Lord today. The work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. I didn't sluggishly do it. I did it with everything. I prayed, I supported, I'm not on the platform, 
I'm not playing because he lives at the piano. I'll sit back, but everything I do, I'll do it with everything in me. I'll do it with all of my might. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great for those that play second fiddle to say, I'm going to support with all of my heart. The Oak Ridge Boys sung a song years ago. Nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. Everybody wants to be the lead singer in the band. It's hard to get a beat on what's divine when everybody's pushing for the head of the line. David said, I've gathered all this, but I'm going to turn it over to my son Solomon. And he calls the people together. And he says here, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on my legacy. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. And a lot of us, if we're not careful, we have set our affection on our legacy, on what what I get out of it. I planted that tree in Israel, and I want a plaque on it, and I want them to know that I'm the one that sent the money to do it. I better quit meddling, go on ahead and preach some more. Moreover, I love the third verse again. Because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house my own special treasure of gold and silver. Not just, not just the, the, uh, the, the nation's surplus and treasure, but of his own silver and gold. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of offer and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold of things of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. I love this transition. And we can transition in our life, whether it's with our mate, whether it's with our children, whether it's with a brother or sister. God wants us to say, hey, I'll be what Michael told me this morning. I didn't know what to call him after he graduated. I didn't know, to, I didn't know whether to salute him, bow down to him. And I said to him, I said, what shall I call you? He said, a servant. Woo, I can handle that one. A servant. I may have all this billions of dollars worth of money. I may have all this education. I may have, but just call me a servant. Talking about not wanting glory. I'm I'm going to soon hush. Talking about not wanting glory. One of the greatest characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. In fact, Brother uh, Matt, would would y'all come at this time? But listen at me. One of the greatest characters in the Bible 
is John the Baptist. You want to enjoy a great study of a great character in the Bible? Study John the Baptist. Tremendous story. He came on the scene like a whirlwind. He preached repentance and the power of God was with John and he told him to repent. In fact, the Bible says that all the whole city, all the whole countryside came out to see John and many of them were baptized. You're talking about having prestige. You're talking about having a name recognition. You're talking about being somebody was John. Powerful, powerful man of God. Then all of a sudden, over the horizon comes someone else. And this man's name is Jesus. And John says, behold the Lamb of God. World, behold the Lamb of God. Church, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He baptized Jesus. And Jesus started on a three and a half year journey of a ministry in the Galilean area. And then something happened. Something happened. Listen at me. Come talking about John. Something happened and, and, and John started losing the crowd. You know, he had the biggest tent in town. He had the biggest temple in town. He had the largest mega church in town. And people came out by the thousands. And then all of a sudden, they started leaving. They started leaving. In fact, not only did the people, many of them leave, but his own disciples, two of them, left him and went with Jesus. Can you imagine the possibility of the jealousy that that man would have? Can you imagine with all the prestige and the glory and everything that he had? Can you imagine what he dealt with? I mean, he was flesh. He's like we are. By that church down the street, they, they're, they're running hundreds Well, that preacher preached a great, great sermon and everybody's bragging on it and you know, oh, oh, yeah, preachers have problems too. They have, they have things they deal with too, just like we do. You know, I invested in this company. I've been here all these years, and he or she got the promotion ahead of me. You ever dealt with jealousy? John could have. But one writer said it this way. He espoused a nation to its lover. And then he stepped aside. Can you do that? Can I do that? I don't know. I hope we can. I hope we can. Transition is so vitally, vitally important. Look at the questions that I asked. Number four, the best test of our motives to ask whether what we're doing is really for God's glory or our own glory. Other questions that we can ask ourselves, can we empower others to succeed without fearing that we will lose some opportunity by their success? 
Can we view our own personal success as something to be shared? Huh? King Saul. There was no way this man was going to share his success with little old squirt David coming in here. And they going through town and said, Saul has killed his thousand. David has killed his ten thousand. And he was so jealous, he the rest of his life tried to kill David. Have you tried to kill someone because you were left out? Because you were overlooked? I struggle with that. I don't know. You may not, but I do. Another question, can we view others' success as something we can be proud of? I hope we can. Or how about this? Will we obey God knowing that we might get no recognition for it? Now, as we get ready to sing this song, some questions that we've just asked ourselves. I hope you've asked yourself that, those questions. But let me tell you the greatest transition. Not, listen, listen, not from Abraham going from his home country to the country of Canaan. Not from Elijah transitioning to Elisha. Not from Moses to Joshua. Not with all the ones I've mentioned from David to Solomon. The greatest transition is from death unto life. From darkness to light. There's nothing like it. There's not a person here today that don't know that time when you transitioned. You might not know the day, the hour, the date, but you know how God changed you from death unto life. How God changed your darkness and spirit of heaviness to light and peace and joy. How that you changed from the old man and the old way of thinking to the new man. And you know, here's a change that all of us can experience today. We can go from weeping to joy. Weeping, the Bible says in Psalms, may endure For the night, but joy comes in to morning. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for teaching us the importance of the transitions in our lives. We thank you, Lord, because as examples, whether it's Abraham, whether it's Moses, or even here, whether it's David, we can learn how to accept transitions. And Lord, if there are chapters in our lives that we have failed to turn, if we're still living in one state and we've not moved out of it for years, Holy Spirit, help us. God, help us to transition and help us to choose to forgive. Lord, we may not feel like forgiving. We may not even want to forgive. But God, we can choose to forgive And then the feeling comes. And then the joy comes. But we choose to forgive our past. No matter who hurt us, no matter who embarrassed us, no matter who abused us, we choose to forgive. 
And Father, in closing, there are people here today that's going through certain kinds of transition. Give grace. Help us not to look at the future, Lord, with a negative thought. Help us not to look with doubt and unbelief and fear. But help us to look at that new chapter like a new opportunity. God, we're moving into something great. And we're not going to hate middle-aged because you're going to do something good for us. We're not going to hate the next year that is going to make us older. We're not going to hate retirement. We're going to look at it, Lord, like every step we take, you're directing us. And we thank you for that. Thank you that you're setting us free from the spirit of fear of changing chapters in Jesus' name.